Great message in song, amen. There is none like the Lord God Almighty. To him be the praise and the glory. It's sure good to be back with you. We have been looking forward. We always miss our church family when we're gone. We miss the singing and the fellowship and the everything. And we sure appreciate y'all taking care of um, all, all business and praying for us and looking out for us and taking care of the garden and the tomatoes. I leave, I come back. They look better when I come back than when I was here. Amen. God takes care of things, and we sure appreciate that. And, uh, it was a, a blessed week, really believe it was. And I want you to turn this morning and look at Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter number 16. We are up to Matthew 22 in our reading, and it's been so full and chock-a-block with just principle on principle, life application upon application. It's just been so rich and good, and some things are tough, some things are hard, some things are a challenge to uh, understand the depths of them and how things work out as as the Sadducees who tried to trip Jesus up about the resurrection. You see, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe that there would be a resurrection. And so they, they throw it out there to Jesus, said, well, what about Moses? Moses taught the people of God that when a man dies, his brother ought to take his wife and, and have children with her. And what if he dies and another brother takes her? And what if he dies and another brother takes it and said, gee, I want you to explain that to me if you would. How's that going to work out in the resurrection? Because they didn't believe in the resurrection. So Jesus told them they had no idea what the scriptures taught and they didn't know of the power of God. And then he says these things, but there will be no marriage in heaven, but we shall be like the angels. And, and that presents some challenges with us. One, he was saying they didn't know the scriptures, what the scriptures teach about the purpose of marriage and being fruitful and multiplying. They didn't know what the scriptures taught about the resurrection. They didn't know the power of God, that God was able to resurrect the dead unto life, and he's going to do that, amen? We're going to get a new body one day. Then he says that we're going to be like the angels when the center of focus in heaven is going to be more about worshiping and doing what God desires us to be and taught of the Lord. But at the same time, that does present some questions to us. How will all that be? You know, how is it all going to work out? Well, one thing we don't know, but whatever way it works out, God's going to make sure uh, it brings him glory and it's going to be best for all his people that belong to him. Amen? We can trust him on that. There's a lot about heaven we don't know, and we won't know until we get there. And But whatever it is, the key to heaven is going to be the presence of Jesus, worshiping at the throne, doing what he has called us to do. But in the meantime, while we live on this planet and we are on mission for Jesus, we can guarantee that we're going to have to face a few things in this life. And as the song that Sandy was singing, that if let, let the rains come, let the pain come, let the sorrow come, if that is going to be the means by which you allow me to bring glory to you let it come lord that that you know what's best and that's what we see in matthew 16 and verse 21 i'll start reading there just previous to this in matthew 16 remember jesus asked his disciples who did men say that he was some said he was who 
Some said he was Elijah. Some said he was John the Baptist. Some said he was this. Some said he was that. You know, it just, you see several things. And But, but he asked Peter, who do you think I am? Who am I, Peter? What did Peter tell him? You are the Christ. You are, you are the rock. You are the anointed one, the Messiah. And what did, what did Jesus tell Peter? How did he know that? Who revealed that to him? The father did. He said, you couldn't know that, Peter, on your own. Remember the, the rich young ruler who tried to tell Jesus that he wanted eternal life? And what did Jesus tell him to do? He said, what does the law say? Thou shalt not. He said, I've done all that. Well, Jesus said, go take all you got and go sell it and give it to the poor and come follow me. And the old boy hung his head low and said, oh, that's, that's kind of hard, ain't it? And then Jesus said these words. After the disciples said, well, man, that sounds pretty hard. And he said, who then can be saved? And Jesus said, with man it is what? It's impossible. Man left to himself, it's an impossible thing. Man, it's impossible man to be saved on his own. But with God, all things are possible. See, it takes God not only to redeem us, but it takes God to reveal to us who Jesus is. It takes him to reveal to us what truth is. So he says, Peter, my father revealed that to you. But notice the, the conflict that we see in, the, in these verses that we're about to read. Just... I mean, a just distinct revelation from the Father that, that spoke to, G, to, to Peter of who Jesus really was. But notice what happens in these next few verses. Somebody else enters in on the scene and tries to trip Jesus up in verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must, this was not an, an option, this was a must, he must go to Jerusalem. He must suffer many things from the elders and from the chief priest and the scribes. And he must be killed and he must be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and he, in, his, in, in Peter's way, that he thought he was doing the right thing at the right time, began to rebuke Jesus. And he said to him, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Now remember, God just revealed something to Peter, that Jesus was the Christ. Now Satan has entered in on the scene, and, and he's done got Peter off course, and says, Get behind me, Satan, for you are an offense to me. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. Father, we thank you today. We ask that you help us. We submit ourselves to you. We, we want to bend our knee to you. We understand it is clear to us outside of you helping us understand the truth. It's impossible for us not only to understand it, but it's impossible with men to be right with you, it's impossible with us to, to know you. It's impossible for men to be saved apart from you. But with you, all things are possible. We come into you who, who are more than able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine. So we're asking for your help. Teach us today. Show us things. 
and prepare our hearts to be servants that you use in these days to help your people and reach people for your name's sake. In Jesus' name, amen. What we, what we see in these passages of Scripture, Jesus is letting them know up front of what some things are about to happen to him. And he tells them that he's got to suffer. He's going to be rejected. He's going to be abused. He's going to be spoken evil of. He's going to be misused. And eventually he's going to be killed. Now, what was Peter's first response? How did Peter want to deal with this? Just like you and I would deal with it. You've got to think about it. Peter, he knows who Jesus is. He knows what Jesus has been doing. This has been revealed to him by the Father. And Jesus hadn't done anything that would be worthy of being abused, right? Who, was, he, was he out to harm the Pharisees? Was he out to harm the Sadducees? Was he out to harm anybody? No, he didn't come in the world to destroy the world. He came in the world to what? Save it, amen. So Peter's thinking, I've watched you show compassion toward a lost world. I've watched you touch the blind and give them sight. I've watched you heal the lame. I've watched you heal people of diseases, people that were crippled, people that were sick. I've watched you love on people. You, you, don't, you, don't, you don't deserve this. You don't deserve to be treated this way. Far be it from you that you have to go through these things. But remember, Jesus said that was a must, amen? To fulfill all righteousness, Jesus had to go through these things. It was all part of God's plan. But Peter, from a natural perspective, felt like it would be to his best interest to, to help Jesus out and remind him that he didn't deserve to have to suffer that away because he had done nothing to deserve it. In essence, this is exactly what Peter said. Jesus, pity yourself. You really don't have to go through this hard time. You don't have to do that. Far be it from you. You need to pity yourself. You don't have to do this. You don't have to go through that. Now, what was, what was Jesus' first response to Peter? Did he, did he speak directly to Peter? Did he speak to somebody else? He spoke to Satan, and he said, Get behind thee, Satan, for you are not mindful or thoughtful toward the things of God. You're more mindful of the things of men. Why is he more mindful of the things of men? Because Satan wants to keep men in a trap. He wants to trap them. He wants to deceive them. And he knows how to deceive and cripple men in the journey. I brought this old decoy. Y'all probably remember not long ago, on a time or two, we talked about turkey hunting. And we used some illustrations about how using decoys is like playing like the devil. It's deceptive. That's the whole purpose of it. To make the, that, that gobble or turkey think that this hen here is real and this hen is interested in that, in that gobble or turkey. And he's so caught up in his natural inclinations that he, he fails to realize that this turkey decoy is 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 not real if he ever would come to the conclusion at some point in time that this decoy is is not real it's not alive it doesn't have life in it it's just a trap that old turkey's going to get out of there as soon as he can he's not going to get caught 
because my objective as a turkey hunter is to get him close enough to this decoy and trick him so that I can blow his head off. That's what I want to do as a turkey hunter. It's deceptive. That's my objective is to trick him, to deceive him. And the enemy does the same thing with you and I. And we think a lot of times the deceptive and the trickiness of the, of the enemy is the fact that he uses big things to get us. Things that, that we don't want anything to do with and forbid and he tricks us and pulls us off. But he uses all kind of stuff to trip us up. And what we find with Peter is that he suggested to Peter to do something which was natural to Peter. It's a natural thing to see somebody going through some hard times and, sh and want to wanna show mercy to them. Are you with me? That's a natural thing. We don't like, how many of y'all like seeing people suffer? Or have to suffer, especially people that we know are, are honest people. You know, you ever, you ever come across somebody that's just honest, you know they got the best interests of other people, you don't see no impure motives in them, and people are just mistreating them and going against them, you're thinking, man, I don't want them to have to go through that. And, and that's a natural thing. That's why the Scripture says that Satan is mindful of the natural things of men because it's the natural things of men that Satan traps men with. Satan cannot attack you and me outside of something that's natural. It's just a natural thing. You've heard me say this before, that it's natural for a man to be attracted to a woman. And everybody said... It's natural for a woman to be attracted to a man. What's not natural is when men are attracted to men and women attracted to women. That, that's an unnatural thing. But when men are naturally attracted to a woman, God gave us that ability, that, that natural attraction. He put that in us. That, that's nothing harmful. That's nothing bad with that. That is a natural thing. The problem is... We are, we are fallen creatures living in a fallen world and we're prone to take the natural things that God had put in us and we then feed those natural inclinations. We cultivate those natural things and before you know it, they get out of hand and the scriptures begin to describe them not as a natural thing anymore. He describes them as lust. Lust is just a natural, a natural thing that has been nurtured and cultivated and it becomes an excess it's natural to want to eat are you with me but how many of us take that natural inclination to fuel our body overboard and eat whatever's in our sight are you, are you with me it's natural to want to eat but we fail to use food as fuel we like it so we eat whatever we want whenever we want however much we want because we like food it's a natural thing to want to protect ourselves that's a natural defense. But as we find with Christ, he's teaching us that we have to be even careful about protecting ourselves because the more natural we feed that, before you know it, we become defensive and not deliverers and we take in, we, we doing everything we can to preserve ourselves and we make life about us. That's just a natural thing. But when it becomes an excess, what does the enemy do? He traps us and we become in his trap. It's a natural thing to want to provide for your family. Scripture says that if a man doesn't work, he shall not what? Shall not eat. It's natural that by the, 
by the sweat of our brow we shall eat. You got to work. I mean, it's a natural thing for us to be doing whatever we set apart to do and doing those things and to do them well. But have you ever watched people take that in excess where they begin to neglect everything else because they start they start making a dollar and they start going after that dollar. And before you know it, they they, they providing, but they're forsaking other things. They've forsaken their wife or the wife's forsaken the husband. They've forsaken the children. They abandon the people of God. Why? Because work becomes all-consuming to them because it's a natural thing to want to provide, but the enemy takes them and traps them in that which is natural. See, it's a natural thing to want to pity people in their sorrow. And we, we, we need to pity, show compassion to people. Matter of fact, turn to Job real quick. Job, chapter number 6. Hold your spot there, Job 6. Job's right before the book of Psalms. We know old Job went through some trouble, didn't he? Now, who was behind Job's trouble? Well, Satan was a means, but who, was, who, who ultimately started it all? The Lord did. Remember, he asked Job, had he ever thought about his servant job he asked satan if he ever thought about him he said i can't i can't touch him i can't do anything with him so god said i'll give you permission i'll let you and testing him so what does he do he says you can take everything he has but you can't touch him so what does satan do he takes everything he has all his kids all his wealth he destroys all that he has Ruins a relationship with his wife. What does Job do? He glorifies God. The Lord giveth and the Lord can. You think that was a challenge? That was hard? No doubt. What's the next thing? He, the Lord says, well, of course, he, 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 he's not going to curse you because we just took things from him. But if you, if you let me, if you let me, harm his body he'll curse you so god says well go ahead i'll let you but you just can't take his life i'll let you just wreak havoc upon him but you can't take his life he did you think that was a hard thing for job no doubt about it what did his, what did job's friends do when they came to him what did they do they said job something's wrong with you brother you had to do something bad. God doesn't work this way. God would never take everything you have. He would never let you go through the misery you're going through unless you have sinned against him. And you need to confess your sin. You need to get right. You need to repent. And you need to get these things together. And Job was saying, look, I don't, I, I don't recall doing anything out of the ordinary that I've always been doing. I I've trusted God. I've trusted God on behalf of my family. I've labored before them. I sacrificed on their behalf. I've done everything. that I, I, I don't know of anything that I've done. They said, you had to do something. Something's wrong. And Job says this in Job 6. I think it's around verse 14. Notice. To him who is afflicted, kindness should be shown by his friends even though he forsakes the fear of the Almighty. 
know what Job was just saying? Job was saying that if you're a friend to people, even in spite of somebody forsaking the fear of the Lord, that is, giving honor and reverence to him, in his affliction, we ought to be willing to show kindness to him. Why? Because Job's in the middle of it. He said, I've done nothing that I know of, and I'm in the middle of this affliction, this trouble, and you're not showing kindness to me, but you're just beating me up even more. Where you're not teaching me to turn to the Lord. You, you want me to focus in on me and what I did and not look to the glory of God. Job was looking to the glory of God. He was giving God praise. And what his friends were doing was, was, was trying to make him pity himself and where he was at in life and take the blame for it to get a focus on him. You see, it's just another, it's another decoy that the enemy uses to trap us. Why? Because that's what, what Satan attempted to do with Jesus. When Jesus said, I've got to go through these hard things, Satan tried to use Peter to make Jesus pity himself, to think that he didn't deserve it. That's just another trap. Now, how do we apply that in our own life? is that we have to be careful not to be used by the enemy, that we show compassion to people, but when we show compassion to people, we bring hope to them and help them look to the Lord and not feel sorry for themselves or where they are in life. That's important. Why is that important? Because anytime anybody is not looking to the Lord and they're looking to themselves, they're looking to the wrong place. Because it's not in our strength to get us out of the trouble. Amen? We don't find hope in looking to ourselves. What what happens when we look to our circumstances and look to ourselves? It just keeps us down and it keeps us in, in depression. It keeps us low in spirit. And that's what the enemy was trying to use Peter to do. And we've got to remember that because God's going to use us to help people in life. But we can't help people feel sorry for themselves where they are. We've got to help them look to the Lord. We want to show compassion to them where they are in life. But we can't ever give an inclination that they don't deserve the way they've been treated by people. What we want to do is teach them to look to Jesus and remember what he went through and what he did on our behalf. And there's the storms are going to come. The rains are going to come in our life. And they're going to come by people oftentimes that we thought that loved us and cared for us and, and wanted our best interest. And what we have to be cautious of doing is not over-sympathizing with people so that we cripple them and keep them from doing what God set them apart to do by them looking to themselves. It's just a trap. It's a decoy. That the, en the enemy wants us to feel sorry for ourselves because it's natural. And when we do that, we can't help but look to ourselves. And when we look to ourselves, we start looking to the circumstances and we think we deserve more. And when we think we deserve more, you know what we start doing? We start doubting and questioning the favor and the blessings of God. And that's what the enemy wants us to do. He wants to get our attention off of the Lord to doubt him, to question him that he is not as good as he says he is. He's not as faithful as he says he is as faithful. I want to tell you, God is good. Amen. And how often is he good? Can he not be good? 
Can he not be faithful? He's always faithful. Our circumstances and our situations has no bearing on whether he's good or he's faithful or not. He's always good and faithful, and we can always trust him no matter what we have to go through in life. It's very similar to this. Y'all remember there's several occasions in the, in the Old Testament and in, even in the New when y'all remember that Shunammite woman that, that built a house, a little prophet chamber for Elisha when he would come around? Uh, she was a servant. It's in 2 Kings chapter 4. Go to 2 Kings chapter 4 real quick. Just a great picture here of this idea. 2 Kings chapter 4. And this be, these are one of these stories you, it'd be, it, it would do you good just to go back and read every once in a while. Because it's such a beautiful picture of the redeeming grace and the glory of how God can take a bad situation, which we all find ourselves in on a pretty regular basis, how he redeems that. Remember, that's the woman said it as well. Remember, her son died. And she went to her husband and said, I need to go see the prophet. And he said, what's wrong? And she said, all is well. It is well. She took out. She didn't entertain nobody. She took straight out and she went to Elisha, found him. And when she gets to Elisha, she comes up and he said, what's wrong? Why have you come out? Her first response to him, it is what? It is well. Why? Because she, she was clinging to the promise of a faithful God, in spite of the circumstance, in spite of the fact that her little boy was in a bed at home that had life had gone out of him. He was dead. But she kept clinging to the only thing she had, the only hope she had was a word from God. She clung to that. She got to what in that day, it was the revelation. That was the word. The prophet was the word of God. She went to him. And, and she says, it is well. And she described what happened. The prophet Elisha took his servant, Gehazi, and he gave him his staff. And he says, I want you to go ahead of us and make, make a straight path to the boy. And he says, on the path that you're going, do not entertain anybody. Don't greet anyone. Don't talk to anyone. Don't tell them what you're doing. Don't, don't respond to them. Why is that? Why in the world do you think that woman didn't talk to anybody except when she got to the word herself, the prophet? And why did the prophet send his servant and the woman who did not entertain anybody on the path but went straight to the mission that God had given him to do? Notice it. Second Kings chapter 4 and verse number 28. Let's start there. So she said, did I ask of a son of my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? Then he said to Gehazi, get yourself ready. Take my staff in your hand. Be on your way. If you meet anyone, do not what? Do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not say a word to him. Don't answer him. But go and lay my staff on the face of the child. Why do you think he did that? Because it is natural for men to make us feel sorry for the situations that we're in. And when they do, you know what it does? It creates doubt. Creates distrust. And we can't say in our spirit, it is well. 
And there's been too many times. You know why husbands leave wives and wives leave husbands? And trouble happens in, on, in places because they go to the job and they tell problems that are going on in their life. And they're telling problems to people who are not in a test with them, who are not in the fire with them. And they, they're not clinging to the last words they've heard from the Lord and they can't say it as well. And what people do on a job that don't know all the circumstances and situations, they say, man, your husband ought to not be speaking to you that way. They ought to not be treating you like that. They don't know how to be doing that to you. And, they be, and then they begin to doubt and they begin to question and they begin to wonder because somebody made them feel sorry for where they are in life. They acting just like the devil did with Peter to try to distract Jesus from fulfilling the will of God. And that's not the only time that we find it. If you looked over in Luke chapter 10 when Jesus sent out his disciples and he said, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves he told them greet no one in the highways get to the city that i'm sending you to when you come to a place that the peace of god is upon you stay in that house and you win that city and when that city won't respond to you you kick the dust off your feet and you keep going to the next one but he said don't greet anybody why because people in the highways and the byways of life that don't understand why you can say it is well in your soul and you explain to them the problems and the difficulties of your life, you know what they're going to do? They're going to make you feel sorry for yourselves. And when they do, they're going to make you doubt the Lord, the last word you heard from Him. And you're not going to be able to say it as well with me. And you're going to trust in other things and doubt the grace and the glory and the goodness and the faithfulness of the Lord because we fail to remember the storms are going to come. But I want to tell you, in spite of the storms, the sun's still shining on the other side. Amen? The suns are going to break. The, the, the clouds are going to break eventually, and that sun's going to shine. And no matter how bad a situation is, God is always good. And His glory is going to come through. And no matter how ugly it may be, no matter how mistreated you may be in life, we want to show people compassion, but we want to bring them hope. And the only way to bring them hope is to help turn them to the Lord and not make them feel sorry for what's going on in their life. Y'all been reading through Matthew. Did Jesus ever, in every encounter he had, did he ever, did he ever make somebody feel sorry for where they were at? Think about it. Every person he encountered, it didn't matter who it was, did he ever, did, he showed compassion to them, but he never made them feel sorry and question the goodness of God about the conditions they were in. His whole objective was is to bring them the kingdom of God. And when the kingdom of God invades your bad circumstance, he changes the way we look at problems in our life and, and not focus in on ourselves and feel sorry for ourselves. Why? Because that's what the enemy does. The enemy is mindful of men because men, men and women want to feel sorry for where they are in life, where they feel like life ain't fair. They shouldn't be getting what they're getting. And any time we think in that way, we're letting Satan influence us. We're letting the natural influence us and not the supernatural. Amen? And that's why we've got to be careful of all the tactics and the ploys of the enemy. He uses decoys to trap us.
We want to love people. And when we love people, we show kindness to people. And when we show kindness to people, we bring hope to people. But you can't bring hope to a person when you let them focus in on themselves. How do I know that? Let's go back to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. What's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 say? Y'all help me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not upon what? Wait a minute now. If I can't lean on my own understanding, you can't lean on your own understanding. Amen? So if I help you in your situation and I'm teaching you to lean on your own understanding, to pity yourself in the circumstance you're in, he says, wait a minute, you don't understand the circumstance you're in. You don't know what's going on with the person that you're in this circumstance with. But God knows. And he's teaching us not to trust in what we know, but trust in what he knows, not to lean on what we understand, but what he understands, and acknowledge him in every single way. Go to him, talk with him, trust him, so that in the end and through it we can say, it is well. No matter what circumstance looks like, no matter how good or bad or ugly it may be, it is well. Amen. Because we're not feeling sorry for ourselves, And we're not going to help other people feel sorry for themselves. We want to bring hope and turn them unto the Lord. Because when we do, we do it no different than Peter tried to do. When he says, pity yourself, Jesus. You don't have to go through all that. You deserve better. Because you're a whole lot better person. Jesus said, get behind me. And if anybody wants to follow me, he's going to have to what? Deny himself. Take up his cross and come after me. See, to deny ourselves means to denounce the right and conveniences to comfort ourselves. Got to look to him, amen? He's our answer. That's who we look to. So it's a challenge. You think that's hard? That's a hard thing to do in life, isn't it? To be able to show kindness to people without making people feel sorry for themselves. You can't do that in your own strength. Because the natural indications of our own heart is to help people pity themselves. It's natural. But it's supernatural to take God at his word and bring hope to people's lives of where they are. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you today. We bless you and give you glory and praise. I pray that you help us. We understand that we're constantly bombarded by the schemes and the wiles of the devil who is mindful of men because he wants to just simply trap men. He doesn't care for men. He doesn't like us. He is a thief and a liar and a murderer and a destroyer. And all he wants to do is destroy us. And, and we know that that happens when we simply operate in the natural. So I pray that you help us be compassionate that we would show kindness, that we would bring comfort, that we would bring hope. And we know by your example the only way to do that is to help men get their eyes off of themselves and what we're going through and to look unto you who is always good, faithful, trustworthy. We don't want to keep people from following hard after you in hard situations because we bring doubt to the circumstance. Use us, O oh Lord. Use us in these days to help people on our jobs, in our communities, in our churches, in our families. Help us point them to you. In Jesus' name, amen.